Isaiah 37. I'm going to start in verse 5. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. That verse has just been comforting my soul. Do not be afraid of what you've heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country. And there I will have him cut down with the sword. When the field commander heard that the king of Assyria had left Lachish, he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. Now Sennacherib received a report that Terhaka, the king of Cush, was marching out to fight against him. When he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word. So Hezekiah has, first of all, he's gotten a message from this king before. And then Isaiah comes and gives him the message we just read in verse 5. And then now the king of Assyria is sending another message to Hezekiah. He says, tell Hezekiah this. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of those nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? Verse 13 says, where is the king of Hamath or the king of Arpon? Where are the kings of Lair? Where are these other kings? And Hezekiah, the Bible says in verse 14, received the letter from the messengers and he read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made the heavens and the earth. Give ear, Lord. Open your ear. Hear your servant, Lord, and listen to all the words that Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. Is it true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to all these peoples and their lands? They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them for their gods were not only, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hands so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. Hallelujah. Deliver us, God, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the power of prayer. We ask today that in this room we would be reawakened to this power. Some need to be awakened to it for the first time in their lives. Help us to see what you can do through a church that prays. Second Chronicles 7 and 14 says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. So we make a decision today, God. Prayer will be our response. Panic will not be our response. Prayer will be our response. Fear will not be our response. Prayer will be our response. In the name of Jesus, we declare it and we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Have you ever, um, 
Have you ever, anybody in the room ever had back pain? Anybody in the room ever hurt your back? I'm not just like an injury, but you don't have chronic back pain, but you've hurt your back. And, and for a brief moment, you understand what it's like for people with chronic back pain. One of the things that's been kind of consistent in the theme of the back pain in my family is that when we uh, have gone to the doctor, whether it's chronic or it's some injury, the doctor has always said to us something about our core, something about our core. And one of, the, one of the things in physical therapy that they do when you have a back issue is they actually strengthen your core. And it's funny, isn't it, isn't it so weird how your abs have so much to do with your back? <laughs> because this is one thing we fail to understand about not only our bodies, but very often our spiritual walk is that weakness in one area leads to weakness in another area. A lack of strength in one area leads to a lack of strength in another area. And I could be hurting in my back, but the the root cause of my problem could be related to something that doesn't even seem connected to my back. And I wonder if some of our frustration, some of our fears, some of our doubt, some of our lack of clarity, what if it is possible that some of those things are the result of a lack of prayer? And in the same way, the, the Lord spoke to Hezekiah and said, because you prayed, maybe God is speaking to some of us today and saying, because you didn't pray. <laughs> because you didn't pray. And you go to the doctor and you're like, but what about my back? Well, I need you to work on your abs. And you're like, well, I really came to you to talk about my back, not about my abs. None of us want to talk about the abs. None of us, it's abs are, are a more skipped workout than legs, right? You hear about people all the time, they skip leg day. None of us want to do ab day. The funny thing about ab workouts, I found out from, from many different people, is that you can do ab workouts every single day. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the core of your strength comes from an area in which you really wouldn't think it would come, an area that we don't really like to focus on. And it's the same way with prayer. Prayer goes neglected. And then we have all of these issues come up in our life and we're like, what's happening with me? And why am I acting like this? And we find out, oh man, it's because there's a lack of prayer in my life. And when I say to you, prayer today, I want to talk to you from the specific idea of prayer as a way of relationship with God, not asking God for stuff. Now think about this for a moment. I think very often what we know how to do, especially in American cultures, we, we have been taught and we know very well how to ask from God, but we don't know how to talk to God. And remember the verse that we use for our decision series, James chapter one, verses six through eight said, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blow, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not accept to, expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Why is this happening? Why is a person who asks unstable? Why is a person who asks not believing, why is a person who asked doubting? Because sometimes the person who asked doesn't really know the one that they've asked the question of. So my doubts are connected to 
the confidence that I have in the one that I'm actually praying to and the confidence that I have is connected to the relationship that I have with that person. Jesus said to a woman at the well one time, she was talking to Jesus and Jesus had asked her for a drink of water and she looked at him and she's like, man, you don't even have a bucket to get a drink of water with. And Jesus looked back to her and he said in John chapter four, verse 10, he said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for water. You would ask me, you would ask me and I would have given you living water. See, the problem sometimes isn't that, we're ask, isn't that we're not asking, it's that we don't know the one that we're asking. Jesus says, if you knew me, you'd be talking to me completely different. And what if the way we talk to God is because sometimes we just don't really know God? Wow. Think about that for a second. Any relationship that you have, someone only calls you when they need something. That's an unhealthy relationship. But for most of us, that's our relationship with God. <laughs> Man, Robbie, why are you doing this today? <laughs> because when I look out into our culture and in our world, and especially in the church, I see unstable, double-minded people without any confidence, wondering does God even hear us? Can God even heal disease anymore? Can God even do miracles anymore? Does God even care about the situation we're in? And that lack of confidence comes from a lack of relationship. It's hard, isn't it? To ask for something from someone you don't know. It's hard to ask sometimes from for something from people you do know, but from somebody you don't know. When my kids were growing up, I had to teach them, like when we would go out to a restaurant, I had to teach them like, you need to learn how to order for yourself and talk to these people that you don't know and ask them for something. They can ask me all day for stuff, but we get to a restaurant and they go silent. Dad, order for me. <laughs> Why? Because they don't know the person. And it's hard to ask for something from somebody you don't have a relationship with. So no wonder people don't talk to God because there's so much shame in that kind of relationship. There's so much shame when you only ask God for something when you need him to intervene and you've not talked to him all week. There's shame in that. No wonder you live with so much condemnation. You only come to church and talk to God once a week. It's not God's fault, it's your fault. Your, 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 your relationship choices with God are why you feel that shame, why you feel that guilt, because if you were in, really in relationship with God, you would know that he doesn't put that kind of shame on you. He doesn't put that kind of guilt on you. That's not how he operates in relationship. But you feel shame and you feel guilt because you don't really know him. Oh, man. If any relationship is going to work, it requires time, it requires intimacy. And intimacy is an investment of time. It's an investment of time. The other day, uh, I, 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 told, um, I told Aaliyah to go tell Judah to take the dog out. And Aaliyah goes downstairs, and Aaliyah thinks that she has enough authority to tell Judah 
to take the dog out. So she goes downstairs, she says, Judah, take the dog out. Judah's like, no. <laughs> she comes upstairs and she's like, Dad, he won't take the dog out. I said, well, what'd you say to him? She said, I told him to take the dog out. I said, well, go back downstairs and tell him Dad said, take the dog out. Why do we even pray in Jesus' name? We don't pray in Jesus. It's not some little special tagline that we put at the end of our prayer. We, put, we say in Jesus' name because we're reminding God on whose authority we're praying in the first place. I'm not asking you in my name. I'm not asking you under my authority. I'm asking you in the name of Jesus. So, so, so when Jesus talks about those that will come to him at the end, the Father does, and he says, you're going to come to me. There will be people come to me, and they'll say, well, we cast devils out in your name. And we did miracles in your name. And God is going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. You can use my name and not even know me. So it's not enough to just put in the name of Jesus at the end of the prayer. you got to know the Jesus that you're... Uh, so we got to know him. we got to... No, in Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition. Wait a second. I love this here because he divides prayer and petition. Remember I said, most of us know how to ask from God. Very few people know how to talk to God. So there's prayer and petition. Prayer is something I do because of relationship. It's what I do to communicate. It's what I do to develop my intimacy with God. Petition is what I ask of God out of my relationship with God. And the confidence in my asking has everything to, with the confidence in my knowing the God that I'm asking the question of. This is important. This is so important for us. And then he says, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 5 and 7 says about Jesus. He said, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions. Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Can I tell you something about praying people? Praying people are obedient people. Why is this? Because the more you pray, the less you demand your way. And the, the key function of prayer is not about getting your way. The key function of prayer is about surrendering your will. This is the key function of prayer. And people misunderstand prayer. And they go to God demanding their way. Heal me, save me, set me free, give me a job, give me this, open this door, do this for me. Prayer is not about demanding your way. Prayer is about surrendering your will. That's why he said, Philippians, he said, bring all your prayers and your requests to God, and then what he'll give you is peace. I'll give you peace. I'm not praying to get my way. I'm praying to surrender to his will. The only way peace comes in my life is if I'm surrendered to his will. 
Think about this for a minute because I think we've misunderstood the purpose of prayer. Martin Luther said this. He said, prayer is not about overcoming God's reluctance. Like God's like, ah, I'm not sure, you know. Maybe if you prayed a little more. Maybe if you put a few more dollars in the offering. Maybe if you just showed up to church just a little bit more. Maybe if you'd served just a little bit harder. And all of a sudden we just do, 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 do. And then God's like, oh, you met the demand. Now I can answer your prayer. Prayer is is not about convincing a reluctant God. Prayer is about laying hold of his will. That's what it's about. When I pray, he opens up to me his will. And so no matter what his answer is, I accept his will. Remember Jesus said in the garden, he said, God, I I wish that this cup could pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. If I got my way, I wouldn't go to the cross. If I got my way, this day would end. But because I'm submitted to your way, your will, I'm laying hold of that. And that's where my strength comes from. My strength doesn't come from the fact that, man, if I'll just pray, I'll never suffer. If I'll pray, I'll never go through anything. If I pray, I'll never have any bad times. No, Jesus prayed and he went straight to a cross. Because sometimes God's will is the pain. Sometimes God's will is the suffering. Sometimes God's will is the difficulty. Sometimes God's will is the trial. And if you don't know that it's God's will because you're constantly demanding your way, you'll never have peace. So prayer, it's not about getting my way, but surrendering my will. Prayer, listen to me, doesn't control God. It reminds me that God is in control. (laughs) It reminds me, remember the apostle Paul, he said, "I, I had this thorn in my flesh and I asked God three times. To take it from me, he said, nope, nope. Even the apostle Paul couldn't control God with his prayers. God kept reminding him, I'm in control. Remove it, no. Take it away, no. Please, no. And what happens to us is we build a theology around God's yes or no to us. But God's yes to me might be no to somebody else. God's no to me might be yes to somebody else. So you have to stop building theology around your yes and your no. Oh, man. Can you imagine? There's a story in John chapter 5 where Jesus goes to this place, this pool at Bethesda, where the, the, the angel is coming down and he's stirring up the pool. And Jesus goes into this place where there are hundreds and hundreds of sick people. And he walks past all of them to get to the one guy who's not even looking for a miracle. Jesus has to ask him, do you even want to be made well? Can you imagine the theology of all of the other people who Jesus walked by to get to this man who didn't even want a miracle? Oh my. How offended are we? Because we don't pray God's will we pray our way so don't develop a theology around your yes your no well God didn't heal me so I guess God doesn't heal oh that's don't don't do that 
God didn't heal my mom, so I guess God can't heal my son. Don't develop a theology around God's yes and no. Because there are plenty of times in scripture where God said yes and he said no. If you try to work God into some formula that you can manipulate, you'll be frustrated in your faith for the rest of your life and you'll never have a true prayer life. Prayer isn't just asking for a way out, but asking for a way through. In 2 Samuel chapter five, the Bible says that David gets installed as the king and when he gets installed as the king, the Bible says that the, the Philistines hear about it. And their immediate response is to go attack David while everything is new, while everything is fresh. And so the Bible says David heard about it and he went to the place of the stronghold. Many scholars believe that this is the cave of Adullam where David ran when he fleed from Saul, where he built his army and he built his strength back and he built his confidence back. Many people thought that this was a place where David would go and pray. Well, when David gets there, the Bible does say that David prays. And David asked God, should I, should I do what I'm thinking in my heart to do? Should I go and should I, should I pursue the enemy? Should I attack the Philistines or do I wait for them to attack me? And God says, attack them. And David gets a great victory. The Bible says that they attack again. They didn't learn less than the first time. Y'all ever had an enemy in your life come back to life on you? You thought you had dealt with it and all of a sudden it shows up? So they come back again. And the Bible says that David went to the Lord and inquired of the Lord again. Now you would think that if he already had an original word, to fight the Philistines, that he would have just went off the original word he got. Well, God told me to fight the Philistines that time, so I guess God's telling me to fight them this time. And that's where we miss it. And so many of us in this room are losing battles because we're fighting our current battle with an old strategy. So David inquired of the Lord again, and God said, this time, don't go face them head on. I want you to go around them. We're gonna do a sneak attack this time. <laughs> new strategy, but it only came out of a new inquiry. And many of you in the room, you haven't been talking to God about the details of your life. You've been making a lot of decisions and then asking God to come in and put his stamp on approval of approval on that decision Instead of before you do anything, sitting and getting the word from the Lord. So why don't we pray? I think sometimes we don't pray because we have good intentions and bad habits. Man, I want to go to the gym more, but I think the Mountain Dew and the Doritos really <laughs> affects my energy levels. I have all the good intent, like I really want to go. I promise you I do, every day. I think about it, wow, it'd be nice to look like that guy on my Instagram profile, <laughs> right? 
the picture that I posted from when I was in the best shape of my life, and it's been there for 18 years. I, listen, I started looking so bad that I actually, now my profile picture on Instagram is a picture of my son with his shirt off. It's not me. I don't even have a picture of me on there. So I have all the good intentions in so many different areas of my life. I want my marriage to be better. I want my relationship with my kids to be better. I want my finances to be better. I want my, 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 my mind to be better. I want all this stuff. But if I have good intentions and bad habits, I will always destroy my intentions with my habits. Because you can decide something, but until you eliminate the enemy of its execution, you'll never do it. Maybe some people don't know how. Maybe some people are in the room like, Rob, I'd pray, but I don't know how. Isn't it awesome that somebody already asked this question and Jesus already answered this question? I don't know how. Yeah, you do. You're just not following the instruction. Oh, man. It's like when my kids come home and they're like, I don't know how to do it. And it's like, yeah, you do. You just, stop. You just are refusing to listen to the teacher explain how to do the problem. Oh, man. Luke 11, the disciples say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. You know why they asked Jesus how to pray? It's not that these men had never prayed before. They asked Jesus how to pray because Jesus' prayers were effective. Jesus' prayers are getting answered, and they're looking at all these prayers of Jesus getting answered, and they're like, how do we pray like that? We've been praying, and some of you in the room, you've been praying but how do I pray effective prayers? Jesus says, let me talk to you about effective prayers. When you pray, this is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Oh, there's your answer right there. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Here, here's the point. Before you start talking to me about the bread you want, talk to me about the will I want. And we've mixed it up. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give me my bread. We'll get to your will. God's like, don't talk to me about your bread until you talk to me about my will. Because you won't understand bread until you talk to me about my will. Because bread, very often, when I send it, doesn't look like bread. Sometimes, like in the Old Testament, they look at it and they say, manna. The word manna means, what is it? And if you don't talk to God about his will, you won't know bread when it shows up in your life. So prayer is, why won't God give me my bread? Because you don't care about his will. Sometimes we ask with the wrong motives. James 4 and 3 says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you can spend what you get on your pleasures. Good intentions, bad habits. You don't really know how to. Or you ask with the wrong motives. I want to close here. I want to give you, I want to give you really quickly. These are five very practical ways to develop a relationship in prayer with God. Because listen to me, I don't want you to stop asking. I just want you to have more confidence when you ask. 
God doesn't tell you stop asking. He just says when you ask, don't ask amiss. When you ask, don't ask for your own desires. I'm not telling you don't ask for bread. I'm just telling you ask for my will first. So I want to talk to us about how do we pray before we petition? How do we, how do we talk to God before we ask from God? Because this is going to be the key to our confidence in God. Really quickly, five ways to do this. It's found, I found it in Habakkuk chapter 2. This works for me. Habakkuk chapter 2. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read just the first couple verses there. Habakkuk chapter 2. And I'm going to read. I'm reading from the NIV. He says there. He says, I will stand at my watch. I will station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. And what answer I am to give to this complaint. Do you know that God has some complaining to do about me and you? God's got some complaints. And until you have time, until you take time to listen to God's complaints, you won't know what to address. So watch this. He says, I will stand at my Watch, first of all, in order to develop a relationship and pray with God, I have to plan to pray. I have to plan to pray. Any married person will tell you, unless you plan date night, you will not have date night. Especially when you get kids. You have to plan it. You will not do what you do not plan to do. He said, I will stand at my watch. In other words, there's a time of the day where it's my responsibility to go up onto the rampart and stand and do my duty. There's a time of the day where I have chosen, I will stand and I will take my watch. Whatever that time is, I prefer... For, for me, just reading through the Bible, I think the best time of the day is at the first part of the morning when you first wake up. I think the first words out of your mouth should be, Jesus, thank you for my life. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my kids. That's the way my dad taught me. You don't want to wake up and grab your phone first. You don't really even want to wake up and grab your coffee first. Maybe you could talk to God while you're having your coffee. Maybe it'll wake you up while you're talking to God. But I'm telling you, the first thing you want to do in the morning is plan to pray. You plan everything else out. You, you got to be at work at 8. You go to lunch at 11.30. You get off at 4. Everything else about your life is planned. You plan a vacation. You plan a date. You plan time. You plan time away. You plan to do this. You plan to build a house. You plan to get a car. You plan. When are we planning to pray? I got to plan to pray or I'll never pray. So it's a plan. I'll stand at my watch. Second thought. Wait. Wait. I'll stand at my watch. What does he say? And I will station myself on the ramparts. Station. Station. Like bus station. Train station. Why do we go to the bus station and the train station? We go to the train station to wait on the train. We go to the bus station to wait on a bus. Right? So I will wait. Hurry is the death of your prayer life. If you feel rushed in your prayers, you need to wake up earlier. Oh man, I don't know if I don't know if I can. Listen to me. If you anything else in life, if you want to do it, you'll do it. 
If, if, if it, listen to me, if UT Vols were playing at eight in the morning, you'd be up at five in the morning, you'd be down there at UT in a parking lot somewhere grilling hot dogs and drinking beer. You know you would, because that's what you want to do. Because we do what we want to do. So if I don't have time to pray, then I need to make more time to pray. I need to sleep a little bit less and pray a little bit more, and maybe my sleep will have more quality. I will wait, I will station myself. Then watch, he says on the rampart. The ramparts were the top of, were the wall, uh, the wall, and then the top of the wall. The, basically, if you have a castle, you have the castle walls, and you've seen the movies where they just kind of walk on the top of the castle wall. That's the rampart. I will station myself on the rampart. I will, I will have a place. So my relationship with God needs a plan, needs to wait, and it needs a place. The rampart, the top of the castle wall. I don't care what that place looks like, but you need somewhere where you can get above it all. You need somewhere where you can get that perspective. You need somewhere where you, where you disconnect from everybody else and you, you go, everybody else is down in the castle walls in the town and you're like, oh, it's my turn to watch the castle wall. You go walk up the wall, you wait and you, you, do, your, you do your duty. You watch. So I stationed myself on the ramparts. I need a, I need a place. It's not a date until you go somewhere. You wanna go out? Where are we going? I don't care, you pick. <laughs> this is actually how many date nights have ended in our relationship. <laughs> have you ever planned to go somewhere and then you can't, you start fighting over where you're gonna go and you end up not going anywhere? You need a, you need a place. And then he says, I will look to see what he will say to me. I love this. I will look to see what he will say to me. He doesn't say, I will listen to hear what he will say to me. Because so many people in this room are listening for a voice when you need to be looking for a verse. You're waiting on some audible voice to come and then it's like, oh, God's, really talking to me now, but no, God wants to talk to you and God talks to you by his word. What is his word? It's the, it's the written word of God. Can God speak to you through an audible voice? Absolutely. Has never done it. I think maybe, maybe one time I thought I was hearing the voice of God speak, but it was probably Monica. Because <laughs> she's the closest thing to the voice of God in this natural world that we live in, in my life. Thank you, thank you, I appreciate that. So I look, see what God says, see what God says. I need to get in the word. So I, I bring, and some people are like, Robbie, I don't, I don't know how to fill up my prayer time. God's not asking you to fill up your prayer time with words. He's really not. Matter of fact, God would probably rather you spend your prayer time listening more than talking. 
because if anybody's got something important to say, <laughs> come on. So I look, and then he says, I will answer. And this is where relationships fail, is the follow-through. It's not that we sometimes don't plan to. It's not that we don't wait. It's not that we don't find a place. It's not that we didn't look. It's not that we even didn't hear from God. It's that we don't answer the thing God said while we were talking. That's the follow-through of the relationship. Last night, Monica comes into the room. She sits down beside me, and she says, hey, I want to talk to you. And I said, sure. I was watching football. And she said, hey, I need you to have my back on something. And I said, sure. And uh, I didn't want to have her back on the thing that she was talking to me about. <laughs> well, I've, I thought I had her back but I really didn't have it. So I'm getting mad because she's asking me to follow through. And so much of our frustration with God is not that God's not talking to us. It's not that God isn't answering us. It's that we just don't want to follow through on what he said. Oh, man. It's in the follow-through. So Hezekiah, the Lord's been saying, everything's gonna be okay. But God, have you heard? Even the enemy's telling me I shouldn't trust you. Even the enemy's telling me I shouldn't believe that you can save Jerusalem. Have you read? That's what Hezekiah does. He takes the threats and he throws them out. He goes to the house of the Lord, to the temple, and he throws out the threats of the enemy. Lays them on the altar and he says, this is what the enemy's been saying to us. Your people. Your children. What are you gonna do about it? Has there anybody ever been in a situation, maybe you're in one right now, where you're looking at God and you're like, what are you gonna do about this? How are you gonna answer this? How are you gonna deal with these threats? How are you gonna deal with what the enemy plans to do? Notice what Hezekiah talks to God about. He doesn't talk about their righteousness, how many times they went to church, how much they gave in the offering, how faithful they've been. They remind God, he reminds God who they are. We're your kids. We're your responsibility. I don't need you to come through because I've been good. Because if you only come through when I've been good, you'll never come through. I don't need you to come through because I gave enough in the offering. No, I need you to come through just because I belong to you. Because I'm your kid. Hezekiah knew him. And he knew God would come through. He, the enemy even came to the people and said, don't believe Hezekiah. 
He's lying to you. Your God will not come through for you. Sometimes we need Hezekiahs to rise up who say, no, I know the God that you serve. I know the God that we serve. I know the God that you're waiting on. I know the God that you're praying to. Don't let the enemy tell you he doesn't still answer prayer. He hears us and he loves us. We're his kids. He's going to come through. It might not be your way, but it will be his will. If I'm his child, the one thing I can count on happening in my life is the will of God. The Bible says about the people of God, many are the plans of men, but it's the Lord's will that will be established. Men have plans, but God has a will. Today, I'm not asking you to pray more because if you don't, something bad's gonna happen to you. I'm not asking you to pray more because if, if you don't, you really don't love God. I'm not trying to shame you into prayer. I'm trying to introduce you to something that is your birthright. As a child of God, it is direct access to the throne of God through the blood of Jesus. It's not just the ability to ask God for what you want, it's to talk to God about who he is. And when you start to discover who he is, you start to understand why he does what he does, when he does it, how he does it. Until then, you'll constantly be frustrated because I'm not getting my way when God isn't really interested in our way. He's interested in his will. We stand on your feet with me today. Maybe you could, if you would, in the room, maybe bow your head and close your eyes if you would with me. I wanna ask if there's anybody in this room today who would say, Robbie, man, I don't really have a relationship with God. Maybe you're in the room and you go to church, but you don't have a relationship with God. You know church, but you don't know God. And I'm talking to people in the room who have never given their life to Jesus and I'm talking to people who have, maybe you got saved when you were a kid or you've been coming to church for a long time but you would say, Rob, I don't have a relationship with God. I want a relationship with him. If that's you today, I wanna pray with you. I wanna believe that in this moment that God can supernaturally do something in your life, radically changing you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, what that means is God wants to save you from your sin, save you from your, your damnation to hell, save you and rescue you and redeem you from your lost state of being. You, if, if you aren't saved in this room, you're a dead person who needs to come to life. If you're a saved person, you're an alive person who needs to be revived. You, 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 you might be on, on life support, but you're, you're alive. You, you just need to be revived. And if you're in any one of those conditions today, I'm gonna count to three. And when I do, I just want you to throw your hand up in the air today. And all you're saying is, I want a relationship with God. I want a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. If that's you, I'm gonna count to three. One, two, three. Throw your hand up in the air. I see your hands, hands, hands everywhere. I see them all over the room. I see you, I see you, I see you. I see all y'all back there. I see you. I see you up here in the front. I see you. I see you, sir. 
See, I just, I want relationship with God. I want relationship with God. Come on, if, if you're in the room today, pray this prayer with me along with those that lifted their hands. Let's pray this. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. I give you mine. Take all of it. Have your way. Use me for your glory. I repent of my sins. I don't want my way. I want your will. I want your plan. I want what you want for my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody in the room said amen. Come on, church. Let's put our hands together and bless the Lord. Come on, let's bless the Lord. Angels rejoicing in heaven. When a sinner returns, we thank you.